Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, are you constantly feeling like you never have enough time, like you can't possibly fit it all in, and you'll never get to those projects you've been wanting to do because of a lack of time? Let me help you find that time because guess what? There's always enough of it. We just need to create space for it and be intentional about protecting it. Join my Facebook group where I will help you find the time you are looking for by analyzing what you are currently spending your time doing and by becoming a fierce time protector. Head over to eblogtalk.com forward slash always enough for more information and use the discount code EBT listener to get 20% off. This is a limited time offer, so you don't want to miss out on this. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash always enough to find that time you're looking for. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers, so your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be chatting with Dayday Wilson and Robin Jaffin from FODMAPEveryday.com, and we will discuss creating smart content. FODMAP Everyday was founded by lifelong friends Robin Jaffin and Dayday Wilson. These ladies know how challenging it can be to find reliable, credible, and accurate information on the internet, and how important it is, especially when you are seeking health-related information and guidance. The low FODMAP diet is a science-based and tested approach to managing the symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome and potentially other illnesses and conditions. Their goal is to see you thrive and love food again because the food you are eating is loving you back. I am really excited to chat with you ladies today, but first I would love it if you gave us a fun fact about yourselves. Oh, you're starting with the fun fact. This is Day Day. Hi, thank you for having us. Well, at this point, I have published 17 books and I've always gotten a kick out of the fact that one of them has been translated into Bulgarian. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I can read it, but it it exists. And which book is that? (laughs) That was a book on appetizers that I did many, many years ago, international appetizers. And it was explained to me that they don't have a very flourishing publishing program within the country. So they tend to republish a lot of content. Wow. And they're looking to make appetizers, apparently. (laughs) So, Robin, do you have a fun fact for us? Sure. Um, I think the fun fact is that this is Day Day and my third business together with a close to 20-year hiatus in between um, this one and our last one. And we're basically considering this our third act. 
And we named our business ShiftWorks Partners because both of us actually reconnected after not seeing each other for almost 20 years um, entirely sort of magically and randomly. And we were both at a stage of shifting pretty dramatically in our personal lives and sort of cross paths again. And here we are. Wow. That's so crazy. And so reconnecting at just the right time, it seems like in both of your lives. Yes, exactly. Yes. And it was so interesting just to, she ended up having a dream about me the same night I ended up having a long descriptive conversation about who she was <laughs> um, in my life to another friend. And it was completely out of the blue that both of us just came up upon each other sort of energetically again. And it all makes sense to us now. So that's crazy. And that that just speaks to me because I am such a dreamer. And most people in this world think I'm nuts because I'll say like, oh, my gosh, I had a dream about you last night. And I know that it was significant, but nobody else really understands that. So I get that. And that is so cool. So I'll have to talk to you ladies another time about dreaming because I can get off on a rant about that. Yeah. Absolutely. And in fact, right before this call, we were just exchanging the dreams we just had. (laughs) Oh, I'd fit right in. That's amazing. (laughs) All right. Well, I love those fun facts. Thank you for sharing those. And I would love it if we got to our main focus today, which is creating smart content. As you know, food bloggers are always looking for recipes to place a focus on that both satisfies individual tastes and interests and niches, but also recipes that are trending. So how do we identify what is a fad versus what is a trend versus what is maybe a longer lived market? That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. For us, it all began with, uh, we had both been in the food industry for decades. I had been living with irritable bowel syndrome with IBS for over 25 years, discovered the low FODMAP diet, and it had made a significant positive change in my life. And this was in 2015 when the diet was not as well known. And it became very clear to me that someone hopefully us, could make a real difference in educating the public about this diet so that the one in five people worldwide who have IBS, that the 75% of them who could potentially be pain-free if they followed this diet, would be able to have access to the information that they needed. In terms of your question about fad and trend, we would not have started this business if the low FODMAP diet had not been a clinically proven diet. For us, that's what distinguishes this from a fad. A fad or just a trend is not necessarily a clinically proven diet. So for us, putting our time, sweat equity, our money into something that could potentially just float away was not something we were ever going to do. But this is something that is real with the science to back it up. That's a really great great way to define that because there are so many diets, as you know, that float around, they come and go. So the ones that have actual clinically based scientific data to back it up, those are the ones that are probably going to stick around and that people can back and get behind because there's science behind it. So what about those diets that maybe don't have science to back them up and they come and go? Are those things that we should be staying away from? And also, what are those? I don't even know what has science to back it up and what doesn't. 
I was going to say that's a, also a good question. It's interesting. I think a lot of it has to do around if we're talking about bloggers, right, and business models and business opportunities. I think that there are always going to be shorter term gains for going for something that's trendy in the moment. And if you have the capability and the resources and the experience to be able to capture that market when it rises and get rid of, you know, your site before it falls, that's great. That's not who Day Day and I are. We tend to be, um, we're long-term kind of business builders. We really value authority and depth, which you can probably see if you go to our site, you know, within two years, we've built over almost 700 recipes, over 250 articles on the site alone. And so that's, that's because we believe that in the long run, it's more value for us and more value for our readers. And that's just what we get more joy out of. But I think if it's somebody who's capable of capturing a trend, you know, the keto diet or paleo uh, paleo or, you know, any of those, that those are going to come and go. And there's a huge market for those when they come up and rise. And so if you're the kind of blogger that can capture that and then make sure that you're not caught in the down, the downswing, more power to you. Yeah, because there are so many that have popped up, the keto diet, the paleo. So low FODMAP, just to clarify, does have science to back it up. The paleo and keto diets do not, correct? Well, it's interesting. We just had one of our, uh, we call our team of registered dietitians our success team. And so the articles that Robin referenced on the site are all science-based and are written by registered dietitians, most of whom have been trained by Monash University who developed the low FODMAP diet. So you have to keep in mind that we are, we do have a narrow focus. We are writing for people who are following the low FODMAP diet who have been diagnosed by a doctor with IBS. So someone could follow a keto diet, lose weight, feel great. We're not going to tell anybody that they didn't have that experience. What we are going to tell people is we just last week or two weeks ago published an article on the keto diet. We explained why it is not recommended for people who have IBS, why it is not recommended for people who are concurrently following the low FODMAP diet, and how the long-term effects have to be looked at. So some people think that we might just be bashing it out of hand. We're not. We're saying here are some parameters that we work within, low FODMAP, IBS, etc. And within those parameters, the keto diet is not recommended. So, you know, it is a challenge because we have these science-based articles. We try to make them as digestible ha, 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 <laughs> as possible um, to the average reader, but we get into the science. So they're not short and sweet and necessarily tell you all the things you want to hear. They might be telling you some of the things you don't want to hear. Well, and you mentioned there are different reasons why people might want to try different diets, whether they're in excruciating pain every day and they've gotten diagnosed by a doctor for whatever reason, or if they're just wanting to stop in a keto blog and lose a little weight or feel better. So I like that you mentioned that and we need to keep that in mind too. Not everybody is going to come to a blog wanting that scientific data and paleo blogs might be okay for those people and different, you know, different niches. So I really like that you differentiated that. So what is the secret do you ladies think behind creating content for an emerging market? That's also another great question. I, you know, it's so interesting when Danny and I first got back together and she started to lay out this whole idea, 
you know, my first question, I had come off of almost 20 years as a um, human and labor rights consultant, completely different world, right? And so coming back around to food again, I understood that she really wanted to approach this from a lifestyle perspective, a foodies perspective, instead of it being sort of dry and just medically driven. And because this is about food, you know, and food is about life. And so we really wanted to come at it from a celebratory angle. And so one of the questions, of course, was like, how big is this market? How do we know? And so we did a lot of research on this and everything we read for all of the market and trend projections was that this could be close to 15 times bigger as a market than gluten-free. And so we started to look around to see who else was actually investing in this and what the trends were coming from Australia across the EU into the United States. And so we understood that we were actually sort of ahead of the curve by launching our business at the time that we launched it. And because of that, there are some challenges and opportunities that um, may not necessarily be there in another six months or two years if we were launching, you know, two years earlier or two years later. So I think really doing your homework, understanding kind of what the uh, market research is saying about your niche market. Are there enough people out there actually interested in what you're talking about? Is there enough additional information and buzz about the topic that you're entering into so that sort of your boat will lift as the waters rise. I think it's really important that you identify who has authority in your niche. And so figuring out for us, that was Monash University. And we knew early on that we were not dietitians ourselves, but we had very deep personal knowledge in both food and also in the diet as a as a person who suffered from it. So we surrounded ourselves with and built relationships with other people in our ecosystem who were well-respected authorities in this topic in particular. And we found different ways to align ourselves, whether it was through a certification process for our recipes or whether it was in building a success team of contributors who are all RDNs. So again, really sort of identifying what is the potential for your market? Who are the main players out there? What role do you want to play in that ecosystem? And then making sure that you're the best at what you do. And then, you know, I'll just add, so when I discovered the diet in 2015 and it, it helped me make a positive change with my own health. At the time, the only information out there on the diet was being presented either by Monash University, so it was very academic and kind of dry in that regard, or it was registered dietitians. And again, like some of them had blogs and were developing recipes, but it was still pretty medical and pretty uh, dry. And as Robin said, this was food. And I've been a professional recipe developer now for over 30 years. And the minute I took a look at the diet, and this is what happens for most people when they first see it, is they see what they're told not to eat. 
And so first of all, there's this sense of deprivation. There's a sense of panic. How am I going to do this? You start feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> I mean, it, it can get it can get very anxiety ridden. But as a recipe developer, I immediately saw the potential. I saw what foods, what recipes, what dishes I could create. And so I immediately said to myself, OK, I know that the average person looking at this diet is not going to be able to look at the foods in that way. And no one as of now in 2015 is owning the lifestyle space of the low FODMAP diet. So the first thing I did was I decided I was going to write another book. At that point, I had written 16. And I was like, I'm going to write a book on the low FODMAP diet, but I'm going to find a registered dietitian to write it with me. And that's when I reached out to Kate Scarlotta, who's very well respected in the field, pitched myself to her, basically. And the two of us got a book deal. And so we got to work on the low FODMAP diet step by step. And that was concurrent with me saying to Robin, I had the dream about Robin and reached out to her and said, I've done some market research I think is here to stay. I think it has the potential to heal millions, literally millions of people around the world. I think that I can help be a part of building the materials that will get that done. And I want to build FODMAP every day with you. And the idea of the branding, that's another thing, right? So we have this emerging market. People don't know what the low FODMAP diet is. I knew the term FODMAP really needed to be front and center. And I came up with the idea of FODMAP every day as the branding pretty early on because it said exactly what we intended to do. We were going to show people how they were going to be able to not just live, not just get by, but thrive every day while they have their IBS, but be pain-free by following this diet. Wow. Okay. That all was so well said. And I want to comment on so many things. You guys are so inspiring. So, okay. To kind of frame this, I had just came up with this line as you were talking. Being ahead of the curve, married with a passion, creates such magic. And that just like stood out to me as you guys were talking because I can feel your passion and you're, you've been so smart about how to stay ahead of the curve. And I'm just so impressed with the way that you kind of frame that in your minds. Like, okay, who has authority in this area? Let's immerse ourselves into that world, build relationships, figure out what our role is and kind of go from there. I just think that is like the smartest way to go about a business like this because I mean, there are so many reasons not to do it. You're like, well, I don't I don't have any authority. How could I ever get in? So I think that speaks volumes for just who you guys are. So, wow, I just wanted to say that. Okay, and then I wanted to comment on Day Day. You were talking about how FODMAP diet is such a medical thing, right? It's so scientific. And there are all these doctors coming out and saying, this is what you should not be eating. This is what you should not be doing. And that's such a turnoff for people because that just makes them feel limited and like, I can't enjoy my life. My life is over. What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? So I love that you took that and you transformed it into a good thing. Wait a second. This is actually not the end of your life. There are many things that you can enjoy. So let's put this together. And you worked with a dietitian to make that happen. Just so inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, so I was just going to, I was going to (laughs) follow that up with just asking you guys about trends. We've talked about emerging trends. Let's say a trend is just emerging and it's not a super obvious one yet, maybe in the eyes of, you know, the everyday average person. 
And I think this can be a challenge for us as food bloggers because we are always attempting to relay information about what we're passionate about and what that emerging trend is. But it's hard because people don't quite have a grasp on it yet. So what are your recommendations for tackling this challenge? You know, one thing for us is that the low FODMAP diet was not and still isn't necessarily known, but a lot of people know what irritable bowel syndrome is or its acronym IBS. And even if they don't know that, they themselves or a family member has digestive issues because it's one in five people worldwide. So regardless of culture and diet, one in five worldwide have IBS. So we knew that that attachment, that parallel, that relationship with irritable bowel syndrome and with digestive health was one place to start because that was an in, that was an in to something that was already understood. But, you know, what's interesting is that we actually almost missed that. If right. you remember, it's right? True. So we were so focused on the place in the journey that brings you to the to the low FODMAP diet already. So we're now, you know, it's FODMAP every day. We're talking about the FODMAP diet. We're explaining what it is. Of course, we're referencing IBS, et cetera. But when it came down to our SEO and a lot of our marketing and a lot of our communications, we were pretty much selling to the people who already knew what the low FODMAP diet was, right? As opposed to really starting with the person who just had really terrible you know, gut issues and was just beginning their journey to figure out whether they have IBS or IBD or some other kind of issue. And so that was something we, we had to go, oh, yeah, we almost missed that part. And so we had to alter some of the content on our site. Mm-hmm. We restructured a little bit to make sure that we were not missing out on those earlier less informed or, you know, who are earlier in their journey, getting to the low FODMAP diet to find our site and becoming a resource for those people as well. And so that was a learning for us. It was interesting that I don't even remember what brought that up to us. Maybe I think with one of our brand partners, we saw that they were actually communicating much more clearly around it in that way. And we went, oh, IBS. Oh, yeah, right. That's right. We're not showing up SEO wise under the, you know, IBS category as much as we should be. That's crazy. What are we doing? So there's always those opportunities along the way. We've had a few of them. So really keeping an eye on what your competitors are doing and how they're reacting to certain trends or diets as well. I think that's very smart. And finding those one or two things that people can relate to. So if they don't know about the FODMAP diet, I like that you mentioned, well, most people have someone in their life who does have digestive issues. So relaying it like that for those people who don't know anything about your diet, but they can say, ding, ding, oh, yes, my husband has stomach issues, so I'm going to listen. So just keeping your ears open for things like that. And Before we get any further, I wanted to back up just a little bit. What tools did you use to look into, like you mentioned, researching your diet or whatever the trend or fad might be? What tools did you use to research? You know, it's interesting. I mean, the low FODMAP diet, as I've mentioned, is was developed by researchers at Monash University, which is in Australia. So Robin had mentioned that the diet is much more well known in Australia and it's and as well as the EU and now it's coming to the US. So for us it was fairly 
easy because there was a very narrow path that led back to the origination point. So Monash University researchers developed the diet. At the time, there was a researcher there named Sue Shepard. She slid off and developed a company of her own called FODMAP Friendly. So there were and are still these two entities that are ground zero for the low FODMAP diet. So for us, it was easy. You know, it's, it's these, these are the people who develop the diet. They're continuing to do research. They're continuing to publish clinical studies and trials. Both of them lab test raw ingredients and publish the findings. Both of them lab test commercial products and certify them as low FODMAP. So we knew exactly where to look. Do you have recommendations for bloggers who might have a more diverse niche and are looking for research? You know, when it comes to recipes, we should have another talk (laughs) sometime about recipe development because I, I have some really strong feelings about it. I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm a professional recipe developer. Most of the recipes online are not being developed professionally by people who have my expertise and people don't really understand why that matters. But I think, you know, anyone who's made a recipe that doesn't work should understand why that matters. There's things that you have to understand about not only cooking or baking, but about the provenance of recipes, how you talk about something, the way you test a recipe, the way you write the results for the tests that you've made so that someone can follow a recipe so ultimately they can have success at home. And then, see, up until now, I've had 30 years experience of that. This is what I do really, really well. Now, layer on to that, you have to think about SEO. So a traditional recipe developer um, has existed for years. And sometimes none of them even have to deal with SEO because they're writing cookbooks, they're working for print magazines, whatever the case may be. I used to work for Bon Appetit magazine. You know, I had written my 16 cookbooks before my FODMAP cookbook. None of those, I I didn't even have to think about SEO. So, you know, there's a lot to say about recipe development, how you do it so that you can create a recipe and present a recipe to your user so that they have a good result every time. So I would definitely be up for a separate chat about recipe development because it sounds like you're quite an expert in that area as well. But what are your, say, top two pieces of advice in that area? How a food blogger can develop the best recipe possible? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that (laughs) now. No, I don't. Because it's, you know, I am self taught. So you know, culinary school is not necessarily the answer. I can tell you that culinary school can certainly give you basics and and is a, a short route, actually. But that's what you need. You need experience, you need experience cooking you I've read cookbooks since I was a little kid. I mean, so I have all of this information in my head about the provenance of recipes. And what I mean by that is, you know, a real recipe developer is never going to call something a Napoleon, for instance, unless they actually know what a Napoleon is so that they can frame the recipe properly. I mean, people do that all the time, right? They'll call something a Napoleon that has nothing to do with puff pastry or pastry cream or fondant, which is what a real Napoleon is made from. So it's experience, it's education, and then it's practical experience. And then there's the technical aspects of actually testing recipes. 
are your measuring cups and spoons calibrated? People are probably right now saying, what the heck does that even mean? So I'll just briefly explain. You could go to a store, buy a set of measuring cups, and you could bring them into my test kitchen, and we could both measure a cup of uh, rice and then put that on a scale, and we could come out with different amounts. And that's because not all equipment is well-made. So let's say you're recipe testing at home with poor equipment. Now you're writing recipes with the results that you got off of poor equipment. Now the people at home are making those recipes with completely different equipment. The recipe isn't working for them. They don't know why. They think they followed your recipe. They did follow your recipe, but you actually didn't develop and test it well in the first place. So it's a very complex, it's actually a very complex answer. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I get it. I mean, a lot of recipes don't really require that just minute detail, like a you know, a cup of flour is pretty much a cup of flour. But there have been times when I've used my incredible food thermometer, which I love so much, and it's super accurate. And then I get people testing the or making the recipe using a crappy thermometer that they bought at Walmart 10 years ago. And then they stop by and complain and, you know, this didn't turn out. It was a gooey mess. I'm like, well, yeah, you're not using a great thermometer. So how do we communicate those things to our users because all of our users are not going to be experts in the realm of meat thermometers, candy thermometers. So do we need to be like just really explain thoroughly in detail every single time we post about the equipment that they're using? I think it also depends on who you are mm-hmm. as a blogger again. So, you know, Day's approach to to recipe development is a perfect match for the low FODMAP diet because it actually does require that you are cautious and careful and cognizant of the amounts that you are using because those actually matter in terms of the FODMAP load. And so for her, her approach is that she wants to give people the best chance possible of having not only a low FODMAP recipe, that it's clear around the serving size that you can safely eat and based on the amounts that she actually used to make this recipe that she knows is going to come out tasting great and also, you know, being consistent whenever you make it. I'm the kind of cook that I literally will, you know, I will wing it. I tend to be much more of an intuitive cook. So for me, I don't have IBS. I can look at that recipe or any recipe and I can kind of freewheel it. But I do like to try it the way the person has actually written it the first time. So you understand what the baseline is. And with certainly with the low FODMAP diet, once you also do understand kind of what your particular sensitivities are, because you go through after your elimination phase, you go through a challenge phase or a reintroduction phase, you start to learn, oh, I actually am really sensitive to these types of um, ingredients, but I'm not so sensitive to these other ones. And so I can add a little bit more of this if I want it, or I could potentially go and explore trying this ingredient in addition to the basic recipe. But for our site and for our readers, it's really important that she is actually using and communicating at that level of detail. Not all recipe developers may or you know want to do that, and not all readers are looking for that. But for our particular market, it's a perfect marriage of Day Day's approach and the needs of our, our readers. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Every cook is going to be different in the way that they just interact with their food in the kitchen. But also, niche matters. Your niche, like you mentioned, ladies, you need to be really specific and detailed and getting down to the nitty gritty with what equipment you're using and how accurate you're being. Whereas maybe a lot of other food bloggers might not. So I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think we all tend to think that we're all on the same page. Like we all have the same stuff. We're all using with the same, starting with the same basics and we're really not. And we don't, we don't all cook in the kitchen the same either. Like you mentioned. No, no. You know, and one other thing when Day Day was talking about branding that I wanted to loop back around to, you know, for me, I was coming in, you know, like I said, I came from a completely different background in terms of what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And I'm like, huh, food blog? Okay. I'm not a huge per I don't I didn't spend a lot of time online looking at food blogs. So it was unfamiliar to me. And so I started to do some deep research in the three months up until when we decided we were really going to work together. And I'm looking and I'm like, okay, so pretty much this is personality driven. A lot of the blogs look very much alike. They're structured very similarly. And, you know, some of these people are like, you know, they've got millions of, of page views a month. They're they're very popular, but they are about the individual, right? And so when we were talking about this, I thought, okay, well, it would be really nice if we could build a brand or build something that could stand on its own legs. And it wasn't just about us as personalities. You know, I tend to be less comfortable being out front and center. Day Day is much more comfortable with that. You know, we could have gone the Day Day Wilson. She had, um, she had a brand, her own brand, right? We could have gone down that route, but we, we agreed that it would make a lot more sense that we actually were creating a brand that was more than us, right? That was going to be about the community and we were we were going to be a promotional platform for the community at large and that we were going to be a really well-known resource for people who were undertaking this diet and for the practitioners who were looking for tools and resources to be able to offer their clients and so for us it was a it was a conscious decision to not call it like the day day wilson blog right but it was the FODMAP every day. And so we keep reinforcing that. Now, the challenge with that is that in the day, and you know, we're sort of in the age of the influencer, right? So on Instagram and on television, it's all about these individuals and their personalities and the individual becomes the brand. And so being able to kind of set yourself apart from that and create something that's a little bit different because bloggers and websites also have trends, right? We really wanted to have something that felt that stood on its own merits that looked different. So if you come to our site, we don't look like every other food blog. We certainly don't look like every other medically based or clinically based diet blog. And we that was a conscious choice on our part. I think setting yourself apart in that way is really smart because you are so right. So many food bloggers create very similarly looking similar looking blogs and it, you get kind of lost in that. So I like that you set yourselves apart in that way and then also that you complement one another so well it sounds like. Do you have any advice for us because I know that not a lot of bloggers go into business together? But a lot of bloggers do acquire teams. 
And it seems like you two work really well together and you have a flow and just like work off each other so magically. Do you have any advice for us for just creating that magic workflow within a team? You know, trust is paramount. And this comes from the longevity of our relationship. We know one another. We've lived in the same house. We met each other at college. I mean, we know each other really well. So we know each other's work ethic. We know each other's savvy when it comes to business, when it comes to whatever uh, discussions where maybe we're not agreeing on something. We know how to talk. We know how to get through disagreements. I mean, all of this is so important. And it just comes from knowing somebody really well. The other thing is that we do something that is usually recommended against, which is that we own this business 50-50. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneur, you'll you'll read books or blogs and they'll say, you know, people, if there's two of you going 50-50 is the neophytes, you know, mistake. It's never 50-50. You know, you got to figure it out. Who's doing what? Who's bringing what to the table? But again, it comes back to we know who we are. And on a day-to-day basis, I am grocery shopping. I'm researching recipe, I'm developing recipe, I'm typing up a recipe, I'm photographing, I'm styling, I'm like doing all of this stuff. Robin is dealing with all of our back end, all of the technical issues, most of the business work, most of the uh, PR and outreach. When it comes to big business decisions, we do everything together, but our day-to-day workflow can look very, very different. But the key is that we each know that what we each bring to the table is as important as what the other person's doing, even though it might look completely different. And one day she might work 12 hours and I might work five. And the next day it might flip flop. And the next day, who knows what it's going to look like. But we know that each of us is holding up 50% of this business. So, really respecting one another and whatever that means. I mean, I love that you gave the example of one day you might work five minutes and Robin might work 12 hours. And it's kind of like that in a marriage or any relationship too. You kind of have to think of the long term and the end game instead of the day to day where like, I did this for you today and you didn't do anything. It evens out and your experiences individually and also your talents complement one another So I love that you guys are able to just see that as kind of a big, awesome, like complete puzzle and not get caught up in the little struggles day to day. Yeah. And I also think it's it's really important that we also have our independent lives, you know, so we work a lot of hours together and we go to the gym together. (laughs) We go go to the same gym every day. Um, You know, we have different classes and stuff, but we we have, you know, our lives overlap in a lot. Yeah. There's also a very natural level of privacy and independence, which I think is also really healthy. So we have a real, I don't know, it's just a very easy relationship in that way. And as they said, you know, we know how to fight and then get through the other side of it, which I think is really important as it would be in any kind of a relationship that's that's got any longevity um, or intimacy. That's so great. And what do you recommend for teams that maybe don't know each other as well as you two do? Maybe there's you know, a connection that you've built up online. And so you don't really know that person face to face and on a really deep level. Do you have recommendations for that sort of situation? 
So one of the things in our building, our success team, first of all, articulating what we were looking for, I think is important. Our ability to know what we want in in a relationship with another person and being able to articulate that clearly and say, this is the need that we have and we want to know whether or not that's a good fit for you. And for us, we're looking at obviously personality, accountability, what are they bringing to the table? What do they feel that they're getting in return? So if it's not money, is it um, exposure? So everybody has to be really transparent, very open and very clear. That's the way we do business. I think every single business partnership we have, whether it's a sort of a team member or whether it's a, a brand partner, everything's on the table for us. We're not looking to you know, hide anything or hold anything back. We believe for it to work, it has to work for everyone. And I think the only way for that to occur is if everybody's willing to put their needs, their fears, their desires, their abilities on the table, and we figure out what's going to work best for this configuration of of people. And I think also being a little more open-minded. I mean, some people go out and are very rigid, around what they they want and they need. And sometimes you're lucky at finding someone who's capable of fitting into that. But a lot of the times, I think you have to be a bit more flexible when you actually meet a person and go, oh, wow, you know what? I was thinking about you for this, but actually you sound like you're much better for, for this. Or, you know, the person says, oh, I actually don't have 40 hours to give you, but I have 20 hours to give you. And this is kind of the compromise I can make. And, you know, you get to decide, is that going to work for you or not? So flexibility really is key. And I completely agree that transparency is so huge when you're running your own business. And just I find that being overly transparent is way better than hiding things, even if it's something small. And that can just build on your success, I think, in such a huge way. Well, I think also it's always a small community. I mean, for us, we have a fairly small group of people who are really vested in the topic of the low FODMAP diet. And, you know, they're global. It's a global community, but it's it's got edges. You kind of know who's in it. You know who the players are. And the reality is we came into it was like, you know, there's there's enough misery going around the world for all of us to have a piece of, you know, helping solve it. And if you do good work and you are good to other people in the industry, that's a no-brainer and it's essential. And you know the ones who aren't doing that. Very quickly, you will see and know when people are being kind of, uh, they're functioning from fear or they're functioning from a sense of not having enough, I think. And that's when some people just become, their behavior becomes not so great. And those people stand out very quickly and very easily. I think so. I think so, you know, and it's not our job to fix that because I think the universe fixes that itself. And I think, you know, it's a spirit of generosity. I mean, Robin used the, um, you know, the description, the metaphor of everybody rising together. And we use that a lot. From the beginning, we wanted to be a low FODMAP resource. And so what that meant to us was that if a new dietitian came out with a book, if a new company came out with a low FODMAP product, if a new researcher published a new paper, whatever it was, that we wanted to bring that to our community's attention. We wanted to celebrate that person who is within our low FODMAP sphere. And we never looked at that as, oh, they're a competitor. 
We look at this as, you know, we're all trying to heal people with IBS. So we are very generous in that way. And as Robin said, we encounter people who don't look at things that way. And so then, you know, those are not people we choose to do business with. But it's wonderful when you realize that you can be in a community where you can all support one another. And it actually benefits not only everybody, but it benefits the community that we're all trying to help. I love that. And I feel like we could have another episode just (laughs) directed toward that because I feel really strongly about that too. And I know that a lot of food bloggers do as well. And it is really such a just inspiring and supportive community. And there are so few people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum with that. But I just love it when we can just show that we are helping each other. I'm here for you. I want your book to do amazing. You are inspiring people. You are helping people with your recipes. And I just love that that whole concept of sharing the love and not being super competitive. Yeah. Again, you know, and I think that's partly the coming from a place of service just in your life in general. If you come with that understanding that basically... You know, Day Day is extremely generous with her time with absolute total strangers who reach out constantly with, you know, people are, are in pain. They're hurting and they're they're confused and they don't have necessarily either the education or the access to resources to be able to know how to navigate or what the next steps are. And Day Day has always been an extremely generous person in general. And so this is just a natural extension of that. For me, after coming off of a a job um, for close to 20 years that was really focused on um, looking at very serious, significant, challenging issues in supply chains around child labor and human trafficking, you know, you come off of that and go, okay, how do I follow that up? And if in everyday life you get an opportunity to create success for other people around you, how is that not better for all of us? You know? Yeah, I completely agree. You two are very inspiring. And I just sometimes I go into a chat not expecting having a different uh, outcome than what I expected. And I, I just am so inspired by you guys. So thank you for being here today. And just yeah. well, thank you for inviting us. Oh, of course. Before we say goodbye, is there anything that you feel like we've missed that we should touch on? I just, you know, circle back around to that passion. You know, you started out by saying, you know, smart content development. I think you have to love it. You have to have an interest in it, whatever your niche or topic is. The authenticity of your interest and passion will come through, and that is going to help you build a community. It's going to help you stand out because you are unique. And so whatever you are bringing to your particular topic it's then going to be singular and it's going to be noticed and it will just have that positive energy. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you, Day Day and Robin, so much for being here and sharing such value with food bloggers. I appreciate it. And I know everyone else will as well. Before you go, on top of everything you've already imparted, do you have an extra favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with food bloggers? Sure. Um, So this is actually from an Instagram feed that I love. It's called Long Distance Love Bombs. And the quote is, stop overcomplicating your life. You are the thoughts you think, the things you do, and the stuff you eat. Choose better and life will be better. The end. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's a great way to end our chat. Thank you for sharing that. 
So I will have a show notes page set up for Day Day and Robin. And on there, you will find a list of helpful resources relating to everything we've talked about today. Those can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash FODMAP every day. Ladies, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Well, you can certainly come to our website, which is FODMAP Every Day. Um, we are on Instagram, which is also at FODMAP Every Day. We have a Pinterest page, which is everything we have up on our site, organized also in boards at FODMAP Every Day. We have two Facebook groups. One is our business page, which is FODMAP Every Day, and it's just open to everybody. And then we have another one, which is the uh, Low FODMAP for Foodies group which you can also find through our business page, which is another 10,000 foodie-headed people. And the day on there all day long, having lots of great conversations about cooking low FODMAP. And we are on Twitter and, gosh, probably somewhere else. But, <laughs> yeah, pretty much you just put our name in, FODMAP every day, either all one word or separated, and you should find us. Great. Well, thank you again for being here. And thanks for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.